we do and our programming and, and our ministries and our methods and, and our efforts, we're seeking to tell people about Jesus. And as such, we try to take his life as the model for this community. And uh, we uh, try to prioritize being together. We want to uh, have a, a priority in that as we develop community. We want to hear and respond to the word of God with an emphasis in prayer. It's an opportunity to grow, and we want to strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world as we engage with people around us. And as we uh, go today, we kind of, we're continuing in this season of the life of the church where, that we've been talking about, a time to grow. And uh, I ask you to think about something as we get started to kind of help us all move in the same direction. What is something that you enjoy doing or watching, something that, that you're interested in, something you know a little something about? It could be a sport or an activity. It could be in the realm of music or art or food or literature. Maybe it's history or theology or finance or psychology or whatever it may be. I want you to think of one of those areas that you really enjoy or you're interested in and just hold that in your mind for a second. You got it? We're gonna do a little audience participation in just a minute, so that's the first half of the answer to the question. The second half is this. In that area or category or realm in which you are thinking, what is or who is one of those people who is at the top of their field or that subject? Who is someone who has mastered that skill or has a proficiency or a knowledge uh, or they're admired by other people? All right, those are your two assignments. You got it? So I want to take a moment. I want to hear from you. And when we do something like this, if two people talk at the same time, we'll get there. Just one of you keep going and the other can stop and we'll, we'll get it figured out. All right, ready? So subject or field or whatever and person, hit me. What do you got? Got to be louder than that. Sorry, I didn't hear it. Music, who? Mm, see, that's the second half. So we got to get that far. You like okay, great. What else we got? Tennis. Tennis. Federer, okay. Golf. McElroy, okay. Bible study. Charles Stanley, okay. Theology. Bart. I heard somebody didn't quite get there. Music. Santana. There you go. I mean, you play a little bit. What else you got? Bob. Science, health sciences, Francis Collin. Yes, that's not my field, obviously. I'm making sure that we're, we're there, right? What else you got? What's, one more time. Theology. Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry's commentary. Read that online. Yep, absolutely. Yep, one more. This last one. I can't even say that last name, so opera and who she said, right? <laughs> Um, it, it's interesting when we, when we think about the different fields and different things that, that are happening. Uh, I did a lot of research this week, Google, and uh, wanted to just share some of the things that, that I found uh, in, in my research. Uh, baseball, Mike Trout. Softball, Jenny Finch. A chef, Gordon Ramsay, Anne Sophie, Mario Batali, and Miss Dominique Crean. In soccer, you have Marta, Messi, and Ronaldo. Historian, Fernand Bradol. Basketball, LeBron, Candace Parker, the late Kobe Bryant. Psychologist, Albert Bandura. Golfers, Jack Nicholas, Annika Sorenstam, uh, Tiger Woods, Nancy Lopez. Theologians, Thomas Aquinas and Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And I could go on and on and on, right? Because there's no uh, lack of 
topics, and there's no lack of people who have excelled in those topics. Now, whether or not we agree with what was said or what I shared of those people being like the top or the best, we could probably agree that they're one of the top and one of the best, and, and we would do well, or we could do worse, would be a better way to say it, we could do worse than to try to be like them, to try to follow their example in that field or of whatever that may be. Which leads me to this question. Have you ever looked at a person of faith, uh, a mature believer, and someone who, who you think is a good example of what it means to be a follower of Christ and wished, man, I wish I could be like him or her? You see, in, in the same way that Ken Griffey Jr. has a beautiful swing and Jimi Hendrix can play the guitar and Michael Jackson could sing, do we look at people who know the Bible? Do we look at, at people who are prayer warriors, who tell other people about Jesus' love, who, who demonstrate their faith and dependence upon God in their daily lives? Do we look at them and say, wow, I would really like to be like that? I, I know for me, as a kid growing up, I, I wanted to catch like Johnny Bench, and I wanted to be able to hit like George Brett. I wanted to be able to shoot the basketball like Larry Bird. I wanted to be able to sing like George Strait and drive like Daryl Waltrip. I wanted to be able to operate the combine like my uncle and know as much about everything like my grandpa did. I also, as I really started thinking about it, I also realized that, that I really did want to know the scriptures like Charlie Franklin. I wanted to be able to pray like Leon Weiss. And I wanted to have faith like Tom Farrington. Guys, you don't know. But people who were mature believers and people I looked up to. But here's what I didn't want to do. I wanted to be like them, but as I really thought about it, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to have to go through what they had to go through to get where they were. I wanted the result, I wanted to be like that, but I didn't wanna to have to go through the effort. I didn't wanna to have to go through the disciplined life, the requirements that it takes. You see, the reality is Michael Jordan didn't lace up a pair of shoes and instantly become one of the best basketball players in the world. Mariano Rivera was not always a lights out closer. Thomas Aquinas was not always considered a great theologian and philosopher, and John Newton did not always understand God's amazing grace. It was through practice and study, and struggles, and trials, and trying, and failing, and trying again. It took dedication and discipline. And when it comes to living our lives as believers, I, I would guess, I, I would venture to say that, that all of us, most of us maybe at least, would say that we desire to grow in our faith and to grow in our relationship with the Lord, but sometimes we're unwilling to be dedicated and to be disciplined, to develop those habits that will lead us to grow in our faith and in our relationships. So this morning, I, I want us to, to turn uh, in the scriptures. I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read verses 24 through 27 in, in a few minutes. Uh, grab your Bible. If you need a blue Bible, if you didn't bring one, you, you can find that on or around page 811. You can look that up in any of the Bible apps as well. I want to encourage you to, to put the text in your hands to, to become familiar with it so that you can know what it says. I also invite you to grab your sermon notes in case there's something that you decide to write down. And, and before we jump in uh, headlong in, into that text, there's several things we're going to do first. First, I want to clearly state, and so if you're going to listen to nothing else, listen to these next, you know, 22 seconds or so. Um, I want to clearly state that what I am sharing, proposing, and suggesting this morning 
even challenging us to consider is not a requirement for salvation, all right? Scripture teaches us very clear that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast, right? This is, this is a gift from God. Our focus today is on growing, and this is not about guilt or making you feel you know, bad about yourself or making you feel like you don't measure up. This is not about me trying to tell you you gotta try harder, right? That's not what this is about. This today is really an invitation. It's an opportunity for us to grow as individuals and as a body of believers. I also recognize, as I said a few weeks ago, that the danger for me is to sound very formulaic in, in what I share, right? As if you do these things and you get these immediate and obvious results. I acknowledge it doesn't work that way. Uh, it doesn't work that way in our life and faith, right? I do not have some secret formula of how our faith or our relationship with God can grow, but I do propose there are some things that we need to consider and we need to evaluate if we indeed desire to grow and if we indeed want to grow. And with that in mind, uh, there, there are lots of scriptures I want to share that set us up to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, all right? They're going to be on the screen. I invite you to, to follow along with me as we kind of look at these. There, there are two that, that kind of overarch this, this whole thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul's writing and he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul is letting us know from the beginning that this is God's doing, right? God is the one that helps and makes people grow. We also see in 2 Peter chapter 3, 18, it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is talking about Jesus's return and telling the people that, that we need to be prepared for that. And in the meantime, between then and when Jesus returns, we need to grow. We need to work in partnership with God and allow him to grow us. And the result when we do that is growth. It's what we see articulated in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It says, Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Again, time out right there. The results of your salvation. It's not do these things to get your salvation. It's because you're saved, because of that relationship with God you have through Christ. Work hard to show the results of that. What's he say to do? Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. One of the ways scriptures strive to help us understand the importance of spiritual growth is to use metaphors, you know, things that we can relate to. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see three images for us to consider. It says this, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Soldiers don't get tied up, in the, or tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should, enjoy the first, should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Here, Paul talks about these three things, the dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and the diligence of the farmer to illustrate how we are to grow. One of the things I really enjoy about the writings of Paul is that when you read him, it's not hard to determine that Paul was a sports fan. Paul would have loved a day like today. He loved sports. One of the things that, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 is, imitate me just as I imitate, imitate Christ. And so I know for me that today 
when I watch the game that my wife has, you know, who's not a, a football fan, has said, oh, it's another Chiefs game. Yeah, right? Uh, that, that when I watch that, I am just going to be imitating Paul. So I'll be doing my spiritual duty, right? That's right. right, right? And several of you will as well. Okay, so maybe that's not exactly what Paul was trying to say. But uh, the, the point is this. Paul uses examples of other people, of other professions, and of himself to say, hey, this is how we are to grow. And he, he draws this parallel to us and our spiritual growth. We see it often in scriptures. Uh, I'm gonna buzz through some of these. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Galatians 5, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? 1 Timothy 4, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Scripture after scripture that, that feed into this metaphor, this analogy, this illustration of sports or running and activities and, and how that is parallel to our life. One of the clearest passages on the importance of discipline in our life as we seek to grow in our, in our faith is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where I invited you to turn in, and we're going to read that uh, in just a second. Drawing on these analogies uh, of running and boxing, Paul urges us as disciples to develop discipline. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and to make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I have to think that when Paul wrote these words to the church at Corinth, it probably would have provoked uh, images of the Olympic and Ismanian Games, which were held in the city of Corinth every two years. Uh, before the games began, the contestants met with judges, and they swore that they had been in strict training for at least 10 months and that they would adhere to all the rules. And if either of these were found uh, to be false, they were immediately disqualified. These athletes who competed in events like running and wrestling, boxing, javelin, discus, long jump, chariot racing, and singing, yes, singing was considered an athletic event, right? I didn't know that until I read that this week, but uh, these athletes had to be disciplined, not only if they had any hope of winning, but they had to be disciplined just to participate. And this caused me to think about discipline, and what's required of us to grow spiritually? In my reading, I ran across this phrase which, which stated, it takes a disciplined person to be a disciple. And the second half of that hit me really hard because it says, because spiritual growth is intentional, not automatic. Spiritual growth is intentional, not automatic. I don't know about you, but but I would really like for spiritual growth to just happen, right? 
We show up on a Sunday morning, we talk about Jesus, and voila, growth, right? It just happens, but it doesn't seem to work that way. Max Anders, uh, an author, shares this. He says, only the disciplined ever become really good at anything. Another way to say that is only the disciplined can really experience growth. And so if we want to grow, then I think it makes sense, at least from this perspective, to think about what it means to be disciplined we need discipline, and, and so what does discipline require? I want to share four things that, that I see in this text that discipline requires. First of all, it, it requires commitment. Look at verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. The, the command here is to run the race, it's to be engaged in what's happening. It's, it's not just to, to be seated. It's not just to be in the sidelines. It's not even to walk and take your time. It says that we need to run. We need to be engaged. We, we have to be doing these things. Only those who kept the goal in mind, only those who kept running had a chance of winning. The story is told is in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, Tanzanian runner John Stephen Aquari, if I said his last name correctly, he was the last runner to complete the marathon. He came in about an hour and a half after the winner, partially due to the fact that earlier in the race he had fallen, received medical attention, uh, his knee and leg were all uh, bloodied and, and bandaged up. And after he crossed the finish line and you know the, all the things that happened, uh, he was asked, why did you keep going? And he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And if we're going to grow in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord, it, it takes discipline, and discipline requires a commitment. Why? <laughs> because spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. Second, Discipline requires sacrifice. We, we see this illustrated in verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Uh, sometimes uh, in the translation from the original language into English, the, the, the English language just doesn't do a good job of sharing the depth and the things that the writer hopes to communicate. This word compete in the Greek is a very intense and weighty word. In the Greek, it's the word antagonizomai, if I said that right, close, right? Antagonizomai, from which we get the word agonize. It's this idea of more than just competing. It's this idea of struggling, of contending with someone else, usually with an enemy or an adversary. It's giving effort to the point of agony in order to receive the desired result. It's more than just competing. It's going farther than that. In the same way, the phrase strict training means to practice restraint or abstinence from certain foods, events, people, or drink. The idea is not only to do those things that would benefit you in your training, but also to avoid those things that would be detrimental to you, even some of those things that might bring pleasure so as not to be knocked out or disqualified from the race. The Roman poet, poet Horace wrote, who swift of foot would win the Olympic prize, has done and suffered many things in youth, born heat and cold and carefully abstained from wine and love soft joys. The winner of these Olympic events, these games, 
They would receive a crown that was woven uh, of branches that would wither not long after they received it. But Paul reminds us as believers that, that we will receive a crown that will last forever. One author shared a conversation between a new believer and a mature believer, and I don't know if this really happened, but it makes a good point, right? The new believer said to the mature one, I would give my life to know the Bible like you do, to which the mature believer responded, that is what it took. Discipline requires sacrifice, and so are we willing to sacrifice? Because spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. Third, discipline requires focus. Look at verse 26. It's a call for purpose and direction and focus. It says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. If you want to win the race, you have to stay on the course, right? You don't just run wherever you want. You have to stay on the course. And if, if you want to strike your opponent, you cannot just beat the air. We've probably all seen uh, boxers, you know, preparing and training, and they use this, what's called shadow boxing, Right? They punch and they, they dodge and this imaginary opponent. And while that's good for training, if you want to win, you got to do more than that, right? You must strike your opponent. You, you have to, to strike a blow. You have to, to make progress. You have to stay focused on what you are doing and focused on the real task that is at hand, which for me at least begs the question, what is the task at hand? What do you hope to accomplish? Where is your focus Someone has said that too often we have a first-rate dedication to a second-rate cause. In Alice in Wonderland, there's this scene where Alice says to the Cheshire cat, I just wanted to ask you which way I ought to go. And the cat replies, well, that depends on where you want to get to. And Alice says, well, it really doesn't matter as long as I can go. And the cat responds, then it really doesn't matter which way you go. Where do you want to go? If we want to grow, then we need to have focus. Philippians chapter 2, 16, we, we see Paul's focus was on Christ. He says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain, just aimlessly, but that my work was not useless. I, I think we need, each one of us individually and, and collectively as a body of believers, we need to consider what is our purpose, what direction are we going, what is our focus. Because remember, spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. Fourth, discipline demands that we overcome ourself. It was really kind of a challenge to try to, in, in, you know, in short order, tell you what, what this verse is all about in verse 27. It says, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. As a pastor, that's a pretty sobering text. The idea here is that Paul was willing to forego his freedoms in order to win people to the faith in Christ. He voluntarily gave up things which required self-sacrifice and overcoming his own desires so that he himself would not be disqualified from the race. He chose to live that way intentionally. And it's a challenge for us as well to think about what do we and what are those areas in our own lives in which we need to overcome. Because again, spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic. 
Discipline requires commitment and sacrifice and focus and overcoming self. And it brings us back kind of to where we started this, this whole discussion. Are we willing to be disciplined in ways that help us grow in our faith and in our relationships? Studies have shown that as of yesterday, February 1st, 80% of Americans have already failed to keep their New Year's resolutions. And you can answer that for yourself. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. 80%. One of the main contributing factors, research tells us, a lack of discipline. Author D.A. Carson shared these words. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Ouch, right? When I read that, I, I just put it aside because I didn't like it, right? And then I kept coming back to it because it's, it's not very encouraging, is it? But I think it's important because it's important as you, we read that words to be very clear, this is not about you becoming a better Christian as if there is such a thing, all right? What we're talking about is an invitation to grow, to grow in your faith, to grow in, in your relationships, to consider what it means for you individually and, and us as a community of believers to be committed, to be willing to sacrifice, to put our focus on Christ, to overcome ourselves in order to be intentional about growing, not about guilt, not about making you feel like you don't measure up. It's none of those. It's, it's simply an invitation for us to be intentional, to seek opportunities to grow. And that may include you attending Sunday worship or small group every week and, and committing to that. Going to the YouVersion Bible app or another Bible app and committing to one of those three, seven, 10, month-long, year-long, whatever Bible reading plan. It could be starting each day or, or at some point in that day committing to, to having a time of prayer. It could be a short time of prayer, longer prayer, time of prayer. It just, it's, it's making the commitment and being intentional to intentionally look for opportunities to talk about the life-changing love of Christ with someone that you know, someone at school or a coworker or a friend. Maybe for you, it's, it's to give 1% more of your income this month than you did last month as a way to, to be intentional to sh demonstrate your dependence upon God. Maybe it's to join a, a ministry team and to see what God has in store, to intentionally listen to what the other person is saying to you instead of thinking about what you're going to say back to them to really hear what they are saying, especially those who have a viewpoint that's different than your own. Maybe to grow, we need to be intentional about showing compassion, about demonstrating love, demonstrating mercy and forgiveness. Maybe it's, it's for you, you need to talk to a counselor or a therapist about what's going on in your life to, to maybe get it, your, your anger or anxiety or depression or, or whatever it may be and just talk to someone about those things. Those, those are ways of being intentional about growing in your life and in your faith 
in your, in your relationship with the Lord. It could be something else. I, I cannot prescribe to you what it is for you. There's no formula of exactly what, what you have to do in order to grow. But, but I believe God is calling you to grow. He's calling me to grow. He's calling each and every one of us to grow. And we have to take advantage of those opportunities. Each of us can strive to grow. And as we do, we can be encouraged and we can be challenged because... Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So, so run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, don't run aimlessly, right? Don't fight like a boxer beating the air. Strike a blow to your body. Make it, make it your slave, so that once you have shared and preached and, and gone through life, you yourself will not be disqualified from the prize. It's an invitation. It's a calling to grow. How will we respond? Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace. We thank you that there, there is nothing we could ever do to deserve that or to earn that, but you've given that to us as your gift You've simply invited us to respond to you and to accept your invitation. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that because of Jesus, we have salvation. Because of what you have done, we can have this life and life to the full that, that you're inviting us to. God, I thank you that we can respond to your great love. I thank you that, that you've made it readily available to us. And so God, I pray that, that we would respond to you that we would commit our lives as we put our focus on you and on you alone. God, I do pray that you would help us grow in our relationships with each other, in our relationship with you, that you would give us that desire in our heart to know you, to love you, and to be more like you and allow you to, to change us, to transform us, to be more and more like you. Thank you, Father, that that we can, we can never do enough because that's not what it's about, but we can be yours and we can surrender our lives to you. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.